Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a man from the world of tax with me, or at least a man who used to be in the world of tax. And you know what? For a, for a tax expert, he's actually quite interesting. He goes by the name of David Tuck. Hello, David. Hi, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me. So, David, tell us a little bit about you. What's, what's your background? Sure thing. So I'm, I'm 15 years into my career. I spent the first five with Deloitte on their grad scheme, did the ACA qualification and then did the, the Chartered Tax Advisor qualification as well, all the while working in tax within Deloitte's entrepreneurial business team, then moved out into industry, headed up a succession of startup scale-up finance teams. I was the first in-house qualified accountant at Fevertree, if people are familiar with their mixer drinks. I'm very jealous there. And Fevertree is one of the brands that I buy every week. And uh, you can't have a gin without a bit of Fevertree in it. Indeed, indeed. Three quarters of your drink is going to be the mixer and all. And then I got the chance to, to move into tech that I'd always craved and worked for some great uh, founders there at a travel and lifestyle social network called Wayne, which stood for Where Are You Now? And they were great opening doors to the this London tech startup ecosystem. I'd always had the, the entrepreneurial bug, entrepreneurial itch uh, from, a, from a young age. And it was right place, right time for me. And I started a business called Chaser in 2013, which was credit control software uh, to help customers, uh, help chase customers to pay their invoices on time. So uh, founded and led that for, for seven years, raised uh, three rounds of, of VC-led funding, 3.3 million pounds in total, uh, and left that business uh, in July in 2020, spent the last year doing consulting work in and around the accounting tech space, and now I'm building my, my next business. And your next business is? So my next business is still at our very sort of early stages, uh, but we're really, really excited uh, about uh, the, the manifold um, pains that there are uh, and how we can solve them um, for startup scale-ups SMEs who, who are expanding internationally. Uh, and the real challenge that exists of being the finance leader of that business and, and sort of you know, navigating what you don't know that you don't know uh, in terms of the laws and, and regulations uh, and, and filing requirements of these overseas territories, you know, it's very different where, you know, for example, you've grown up, you've qualified in the UK, so you're pretty kind of familiar with what you need and, and you know, you'd be able to manage third-party advisors pretty straightforwardly, whereas it's completely different when you go international because you've just no idea uh, in terms of, of the landscape there. And so it's actually a real challenge to, A, find the right uh, kind of advisors and then B, know what you need them to, to do. And just so many different challenges that come with um, with expanding internationally. So I think there's a real opportunity to, to make that easier uh, for finance leaders rather than leave them having to stitch things together um, themselves and, and manage things when they just have a really kind of understandably poor um, sort of visibility with which to do that. Uh, and then where we're going to start is uh, is transfer pricing. 
Um, so the pricing of, of, of intra-group transactions for, for tax purposes. Uh, and I think there's a real you know, opportunity for startup scale-ups, SMEs who are expanding internationally um, for the first time to, to navigate um, you know, the world of transfer pricing, which I think has this sort of mystique of complexity um, behind it um, from, from the sort of, you know, the, the big professional services firms who, who sell that advice today. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way if you're, a, um, you know, if you're a business with more modest kind of international operations, in contrast to the Coca-Colas and Amazons of this world, um, where, you know, yeah, sure, it is really complex because every, you know, every 10 basis points of your markup will be tens of millions of pounds of tax. If you're expanding internationally for the first time and we're talking about, you know, kinds of hundreds of thousands or even the low millions of cost base or revenue, you know, it, it's really a kind of different landscape there. And there's a different sort of reasonableness in terms of how transfer pricing applies. Mm, absolutely. And I, I must admit, when I, I hear the words transfer pricing, I think, well, from putting my accountant's hat on, I think, yep, this is sensible. This is just the, the accountant trying to do as much as he can to pay as little tax as possible. But then I'm hearing the the public outcries that you get around organizations like Google and Amazon. I'm thinking particularly the the Starbucks situation where the pricing they put on Starbucks coffee cups and so on coming in from various different countries to move profits around became a a little bit of a scandal. Is, Is transfer pricing all about tax or is there an element of it that's about the public image of the company? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a really great point, Kevin. And that's definitely something I've identified, you know, really coming back to transfer pricing over the last three, four months, having been out of practice as a as a tax professional. Um, you know, I left Deloitte kind of pretty much bang on um, 10 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And there, there is a real, you know, shift that I identify from you know, tax planning, you know, proactive kind of you know, tax planning to quite sort of aggressively, you know, look at how you can do things like inversions to, um, you know, to reduce your tax liability, you know, it's so much less prevalent now. And the the kind of the BEPS rules, the, the base erosion profit shifting uh, rules, which, which came in a few years ago, I think have been a big part of that. And there's just, you know, there's been a really, I think, successful, um, you know, campaign in, in the media now to, you know, it's, it's part of your sort of corporate social responsibility to pay the right amount of tax. Um, And so, you know, I've really identified that I think transfer pricing now is much more about accidental consequence mitigation and making sure that, you know, you don't, you know, you don't make mistakes, you don't kind of get the interpretation of the rules wrong, rather than sort of aggressively, almost competitively, look at the the tax authority as a sort of in a zero sum adversary way of you know how can we how can we beat them how can we gain them to get our tax liability down um you know now you absolutely need to be thinking about where do you create your ip um and things like that and making sure that you have contracts in place that reflect that but i've i've really really identified that there is not the same kind of um almost kind of proactive energy about you know how can we aggressively reduce our, our tax liabilities and you've got Starbucks you've got Amazon and you know Google the public kind of outcry over that I think is a big big part of it and now you know and particularly for startup scale-ups SMEs where you know you're going international for the first time it's really about you know 
help me navigate the rules. I'm mm. not going into this. Uh, you know, we're not expanding internationally as part of a strategy to reduce our, you know, our tax bill because we're probably still loss making at this stage. We're expanding internationally because it's in our commercial interest to do so. You know, we're opening up a sales and marketing kind of operation in the US because there's a great kind of market opportunity for us there. You know, we're we're opening up a kind of uh, you know a development office in um, in Bulgaria because you know there's a great supply of technical talent there and it enables us to you know to get more for our money than um, than we would do hiring in other places. You know, we're doing it for business reasons. And absolutely, we want to make sure that we pay, you know, we have the right transfer pricing policy in place and we pay an appropriate amount of tax in doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's no longer the kind of, you know, I think previously it was a kind of tax tail would, um, you know, would wag the business dog. Now it's, you know, it's very much, you know, the the kind of commercial imperative, you know, dog doing the wagging of the tax tail. And it's about how can, you know, how can startups, scale-ups and SMEs who are expanding internationally, you know, just make sure that they, you know, that they get things right and they don't kind of fall foul of the huge amount of complexity, you know, the huge amount of laws and regulations and, and ostensible complexity that 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 is out there in terms of these um, laws and regulations. You used a very interesting phrase earlier. So if I get this right, I think you said accidental consequence mitigation. Yeah. Okay. So what, what exactly do you mean by that, David? So transfer pricing, for example, what will often happen with startup finance leaders, you know, they've heard the term transfer pricing before. Someone, you know, on their board or an investor said, you know, we need to, you need to make sure we're okay for transfer pricing because, you know, we're expanding into the US. And what they'll do is they'll Google transfer pricing and the gov.uk uh, section on transfer pricing will, will rank high on the Google results. They'll go and read that and they'll see, okay, there's a UK SME exemption for transfer pricing, which means, you know, unless you've got more than 50 million turnover, 43 million balance sheet total, or 250 employees in the group, you don't need to worry about transfer pricing which is right. You don't need to worry about it from a, a UK perspective. There's no requirement to have transfer pricing documentation or be operating kind of arm's length pricing in respect of your UK entity. The mistake that so many people make is they, they stop at this point and they say, okay, great, cool. This means I don't need to do anything, but they don't realize that, you know, transfer price, you know, you're, you've got an international operation, you've got a US subsidiary, for example, you also need to look at what if any SME exemption exists in the other territory or territories in which you operate? And in the US, for example, there is no SME exemption. So it's kind of lowest common denominator of SME exemption, which dictates whether or not you need to have a transfer pricing policy in place. And so, you know, in that situation, that that startup with the best will in the world has looked into things, but they've misinterpreted the, the rules. And as a result, they are exposed when it comes to transfer pricing, you know, they may not do anything. And so, you know, that US operation may just build up costs, build up losses, and not operate any kind of recharges from, from there back to the US. And as a result, what that does is that exposes the startup from a statute of limitations perspective in the US to six years of going back in terms of inquiry versus, you know, if they'd have done something sensible, they could have truncated that window to three years, for example. And, you know, this bites typically at the worst time. Um, it may be that the IRS inquires into you, 
or what what so often you know we hear start like finance leaders say is this bites you know when you're going through a funding round or when you're going through an exit you know particularly when you're going through an exit where there's a kind of zero sum situation there um where someone's buying the whole company and so they're looking for any opportunity to price shave and they'll say well hang on you haven't you know you haven't done what you needed to to comply with the transfer pricing obligations this will get picked up on due diligence you know i've got these situations where people have said you know, the, the price got marked down by 10% because of the transfer pricing risk exposure, or at the very least, you know, a significant amount of the, the purchase consideration got held in escrow for that six-year statute of limitations to, you know, to, to make sure that there would be um, no kind of, um, you know, no cash implication for the business. So that's what I mean by accidental consequence. Mr. Yeah, Gage, that, it's that like, is an interesting one, because the, the point that you're going through that market event whatever it is you've gone through the period of of making losses you've gone through some very fast expansion chances are you're not se- selling the business because of the profitability you've currently got but you're selling the business on a basis of future profitability and therefore those issues that haven't really affected you up to now you probably haven't realized but they're going to affect the business in 12 months, 24 months when it's actually making some serious money, which is absolutely what, what your, your purchaser is after. Yeah. So David, we, we've talked about this from um, a UK perspective. You see, we're, we're both sitting in the UK, you're developing a new business in the UK. Um, the flip side is true. The, folk can be developing businesses in the US with the idea of expanding into Europe big time. Does does what you're doing apply equally to that scenario? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because what the the way we're coming at this is that I think there is a a false dichotomy at present when it comes to transfer pricing. that either you do nothing or you do what a lot of kind of finance leaders do and try and cobble some sort of sensible transfer pricing policy together themselves. Um, Or you go to a professional services firm and and it's really only, you know, the very sort of biggest accounting and law firms who have the economies of scale to offer formal transfer pricing advice. And they're they're not getting out of bed for less than sort of 15, 20,000 pounds to deliver you some transfer pricing advice. Um, you know, full bells and whistles with, you know, kind of a benchmarking exercise behind it. And I think, you know, speaking to a lot of kind of finance leaders, you know, there's a real middle ground here for a sort of, and there is a principle of reasonableness that underlies the, the transfer pricing rules. Um, you know, what is reasonable is different if you're Amazon and Coca-Cola compared to, you know, a startup expanding internationally for the first time that maybe has, you know, 75, 100 people um, in, your, um, in your group as a team. And so there's a real, you know, gap, I think, for an OECD aligned solution, because all of these rules emanate from the OECD um, transfer pricing principles, which specify uh, that the five different transfer pricing methodologies. Uh, and I think the, there's a the, the OECD principles. Yes. Therefore apply to all of the member countries of the OECD. They do. And then they might get adapted slightly 
in terms of you know the language that different territories use and and you know different territories might kind of look differently you know it might apply different safe harbor principles might apply um you know different kind of um benchmarks for what a reasonable markup is you know for a sales and distribution um operation to make um but again you know these are these are relatively kind of you know they these operate within a range uh, and I think, you know, you need to be all over those local country variances if you're a huge multinational kind of, you know, billions of, of kind of turnover and costs. If you're a startup scale up, you know, doing something that's aligned with the OECD principles, the most important thing is that you've got a sensible transfer pricing methodology, a sensible kind of markup or margin applied You've got some documentation that looks the part, kind of showing the thought process you went through in terms of, you know, the, the kind of functions, assets, risks, uh, which is the principle that underlies transfer pricing of, you know, what are the functions within the business, where do they take place, where are the assets within the business, and who who takes the commercial risks, and then you've got some legal agreements that that back it up and substantiate that this is a a kind of genuine commercial relationship. I think there's a real gap for a kind of you know, an OECD aligned solution that gets you like 90, 95% of the way there. It doesn't get you 100% of the way there. It doesn't mean that you can kind of have, you know, you can categorically say, you know, I've dotted every I and crossed every T um, when it comes to transfer pricing, but it's but it's ballpark accurate and it's more than reasonable um, for a business of that size. And I think that's what, that's what finance leaders, you know, startup scale up finance leaders want. They want to know that they've done something sensible and they want to be able to get there without having to pay the eye watering, you know, 15, 20,000 pounds or even you know, significant kind of multiples of that because they, they, they go in not knowing what they don't know and so get massively oversold when it comes to uh, kind of transfer pricing advice. You know, I think there's a real kind of um, opportunity for a, a kind of light and more generalist OECD aligned solution um, that looks the part in terms of the documentation and the legal agreements. And then sure, you could, you know, when you're further down the line and when you're bigger or maybe in the run up to an exit event or a funding event, you know, you might go and pay for a bit of kind of specialist um, transfer pricing advice on top of um, you know, on top of that um, kind of, you know, that general policy to give you an additional peace of mind. But, you know, that's not what you want to do when you're, you know, at the relatively early stages of expanding internationally. If for no other reason than, you know, when you're in those early stages, your operations are still pretty fluid. They're changing a lot. And so you don't want to go out and spend 15, 20 grand or, you know, kind of even a lower significant amount of money um, on getting some sort of bespoke transfer pricing human advice when you know that, well, actually, you know, in the next 12 or 24 months, my operations are likely to change significantly in yeah. the US, for example. Um, and therefore, there's a risk that this advice I'm going to pay a lot of money for gets rendered obsolete. And I've got a load of benchmarking reports now that are only as good as the day on which they were benchmarked because my product portfolio is now different. The way I'm addressing the market in these countries is different. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Uh, I suppose mentally now, I'm drawing some parallels to, to something we went with Grow CFO recently. Um, we launched the Grow CFO app in the Apple Store and in Google Play. And to do that, it was particularly the Apple part of this that was that became tricky. Google's much easier to register. But we found that Apple were very hot on us having a privacy policy and a terms of service. 
policy clearly spelt out. And you know, the first thing that sort of Dan and I looked at each other and said, well, must be able to copy somebody else's. And I dare say that's the same thing you go through in the, the transfer pricing scenario. What, what, what are our competition doing? Can we copy what they've got in place? And it's kind of the blind leading the blind. Then we realized there was a there was actually a tech solution. We found some a, a nice website service that for a very reasonable sum of money, without involving lawyers and so on, you could go through a, a questionnaire, took you through a, effectively a decision tree, some logic. That's a, is the company doing this or is the company doing that? Are you in this area? Are you in that area? And it came down to having answered those. It was literally um here are the things we think you need to have. And they point this into four or five different areas. Guess what? For each one, it thought we needed to have. There was a dollar price on it, but it was very reasonable dollar price. Press a button, you get the information. It was a superb tech-driven way of making sure you got, in this case, two, two legal agreements that were exactly tailored to our circumstances. I'm guessing that in the transfer pricing world, you're, you're describing something that's similar. You're describing yeah, the price is one element of it, but the it's the contracts and the legal agreements that sit behind those prices that I guess have to be right. Yeah, exactly. It's, they sort of waterfall flow from that. And I think, you know, your example with sort of privacy policy in terms of conditions is a, um, you know, is a really good one, um, Kevin, because, you know, I think transfer pricing, there's there's definitely more sort of nuance to it because it's how, you know, understanding first how um, how is the group structured. Um, but, you know, without kind of going into huge detail, there are, there are five transfer pricing um, methodologies. Um, and, you know, the, the three that you're meant to consider first, comparable uncontrolled price, the resale price method, um, and cost plus, um, you know, those are all what's called transactional um, indicators, which, you know, you're meant to look at the specific sale of that good or service um, and requires a knowledge of, of a business's gross margin that realistically you're never going to be able to publicly find. Um, and so, you know, less than 5% of cases will you be actually be able to use those methodologies. Um, and then you come to your, your kind of... Um, kind of profit-based transfer pricing methods um, and 95% plus, you know, speaking to transfer pricing professionals, 95% plus all end up using these, these kind of same, uh, this same method, transactional net margin. Um, so, you know, really there's this kind of, you know, perceived complexity where there's five different methods and it's, you know, it's, it's really, really kind of complicated and requires a huge amount of human judgment to work out which one is appropriate. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I've, I've yet to be convinced that that, that is actually the case um, from from my research into it. And you know, 19 out of 20 roads lead you to the, the kind of the, the same methodology. And then it's simply a case of whether the overseas entity, the, the simpler overseas entity that you're assessing the transfer pricing on transacts with third-party customers or doesn't which will dictate the one of two ways that you could operate the transactional net margin method um and then sure you need to kind of understand well, well the functions asset risks of, of what's being done there um and you know use that to, to kind of inform what level of markup or what level of margin within the transfer pricing policy is appropriate um 
but yeah i i really believe that to get kind of ballpark there and land on what is the right methodology what is a reasonable margin or markup some documentation to to support that and some legal agreements you know i i think that could be delivered for a you know dramatically lower price than it costs to get transfer pricing guidance today um you know it's not going to get you all the way there you know maybe that kind of maybe that markable margin you know you might land somewhere slightly different if you undertook a really like extensive benchmarking study um but frankly you know the amounts of tax that are going to be involved because the scale of the operations is so small at this stage you know no tax authority is ever going to get hugely excited about it and you're probably not going to get hugely excited about it because you know the difference between cost plus 10% and cost plus 12% is going to may maybe be you know most a few thousand um, pounds or dollars worth of tax yeah yeah and do you see these days david um any great advantage in trying to to move money into particular countries i, I certainly know in the eu there was a stage where it was really worth trying to move all your pro profit to the, the the irish republic uh, and Amazon and Starbucks and Google and so on, we're all trying to do that. Um, uh, is, is that something that's becoming less of a case? Are, are rates tending to, to harmonise more? So I think, you know, the, the direction of travel on this, and you know, this is only going to get more acute with governments needing to, you know, recoup the um, amounts of money they've spent uh, over COVID, you know, the direction of travel you're seeing with the global um, minimum tax, which, you know, right now that's just focused on the really, really large um, entities. But, you know, if it were me back in sort of finance leader capacity within a business, I really wouldn't be pushing an agenda of like, you know, proactive mm. tax management and looking to kind of arbitrage and optimise rates there. Because I think, the, the direction of travel is just really, really, you know, against your ability to do that. And, you know, the winds of, of popular public opinion are also really, really against it. Um, and so both in terms of, you know, brand, but also in terms of scope, I, I, I just, you know, I just don't think it's something that I would be, um, you know, you put the kind of ethical question of it to one side, but from a just a pragmatic consideration of you know the brand potential impact and also the scope to do it i just i wouldn't be investing my energy there i would be okay let's make sure that we pay the right amount of tax and we don't pay too much you know within the confines of um how we want to operate and commercially but i would i would never be i would never be having tax as the kind of um as the driver of business decisions Mm. I think that that is sensible. Tax is only as good as the rates are at the moment. Those rates can change overnight. Suddenly, you may want, therefore, to take advantage of a whole different set of tax rates. Suddenly, you've got to change all your transfer pricing policy in order to take advantage of them. That doesn't half look suspicious if anybody starts investigating you. Sure. And I, this is quite, you know, a trite simplification, but, you know, in my view, in a sort of, in an aggregate sense, 
it sort of nets to zero for you as a business, the scope to optimize, you know, like to actually save money from a tax perspective. You look at it across all of the different businesses of, yes, you know, you might be able to save some money short term, but in the round, you know, any tax saving, I think, is then outweighed by the cost of the professional advice that you pay to A, design it in the first place, and then B, deal with the inquiries kind of at the back end. And so, you know, really, the net beneficiary is the professional service firms who sell complex tax structuring, you know, tax planning advice. Um, and, you know, your your position kind of nets to zero um, by virtue of the benefits you get being counteracted by um, the, the cost of that advice on the front end and the back end. Particularly if you're you're in the startup situation and your target isn't maximizing profits that you're making this year, next year, the year after, your target is to maximize the sale value of the business. They're two completely different things to go at. Mm. And as you said earlier, if there's any hint of transfer pricing not being done properly, potential minefields that maybe two, three, four years down the road, that is going to affect your sale price. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now I think I was speaking to a, you know, someone I used to work with who, who characterized it as you know, I would really notice kind of going into practice today. Like now it's about, you know, paying the right amount of tax in an increasingly complex world rather than how to you know game the tax rates and see it as a target to to reduce um and i think that's i think that's a great thing uh and i think it's about you know so much scope to help startups and scale-ups you know have the wherewithal to do that within their still very sort of limited budgets Mm, yeah absolutely so aside from transfer pricing David, if you're the the CFO of a a startup business and you're expanding into new territories, what do you think the other big challenges for the CFO is? I just just think it's really, it's a really tough, you know, I've been there. It's a really tough situation to be in um, because you're not at a scale where you can hire, you know, local finance directors anytime soon. Um, Mm often you'll be the one who's the sort of de facto, you know, managing director of those international operations whilst they build up and before you're at a stage where you've got a country general manager. And so, you know, all of the operational finance legal stuff flows through you and, and you really don't know what you, you know, you don't know what you don't know in terms of the laws and regulations and what you've got to file when, you know, it's a recipe for kind of, um, it's not even dropping the ball because it's, you don't know that you need that's a ball that you need to be holding on to in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to proactively manage f- local advisors who will be used to domestic clients who who do know this stuff, which you don't because you haven't been brought up um, on the, the kind of rules and regulations in the way that you would be if you're a you know, UK trained accountant you'll have a pretty good idea of what you need from local advisors. And then you've got the challenge of, you know, how do you find those, the right advisors for you in the first place? Um, you know, in the UK, you'll have a network, you'll have, you know, people that you worked with before, you know, you go internationally, you don't know how to find those people in the first place. You don't know, you know, what's reasonable to pay for those services. 
um and then you you're the one sort of responsible for for kind of stitching their work together um and you know getting standardization across you know different advisors that you'll be working with uh, in different countries um you know and then at the very beginning it's am i creating a permanent establishment with these initial discovery activities you know as and when should I be in, you know, should I be setting up as a branch or setting up as a subsidiary? Um, all the stuff that you know, when you know it, it's really kind of run of the mill, uh, kind of generic stuff. But you know, when you don't know it, it's it's splitting the atom in terms of complexity. Mm, yeah. So are, are you going to address those wider issues besides transfer pricing with, with what you're building at the moment? Yeah, I think in G course, that's the that's the real vision. I think there's just there's a real, there's a real gap. There's a real, you know, opportunity to to serve finance leaders of growing businesses who are going international, you know, much, much better than they're sort of, um, you know, being being served today. Um, and you know, just to make that process so much more um, straightforward for them in terms of all those uh, all those pain points, and and you know, then then just so much more sort of demystifying demystifying the expert knowledge i think the world the world looks so so different when you look at knowledge as a product as opposed to a service where you are charging for people's time mm. so davis that all sounds really really fascinating i'm looking forward to following your your progress with this and uh, i think once once you've actually got a product to market there's going to be a super opportunity to have you back on the podcast and and talk about this again but uh, just to close out today without that product being there and i'm a, a cfo looking to expand internationally i'm just about to to start selling into a brand new country what are those three key bits of advice you give me? So, um, you know, the the first stuff, you know, when it comes to, to transfer pricing, it's be out ahead of where you're going to be creating the IP um, within your business. You know, make sure that's that's an area that, um, you know, from a tax planning perspective, you, you can't be on top of too early because the last thing you want is to accidentally realise, you know, a few years down the line that you've, you know, you've joint created IP across uh, entities when you actually only wanted to, uh, to create it in, uh, in one country. Um, you know, the, the second uh, is to just, you know, make sure that you, you know what your situation is with regards to transfer pricing, know what your exposure is um, so that, you know, you're not sort of, for example, like we talked about earlier, mistakenly uh, relying on the UK um, SME exemption. And then, you know, the third one would be, you know, whilst we don't have a product in market yet, like I, I can't, you know, I can't speak to enough uh, kind of startup finance leaders. And I think I'm, I actually think I'm really well placed because I'm a sort of tax generalist. I've been, you know, a startup finance leader. You know, I'm not someone who comes from at this from a really like deep, technical kind of specialist um you know arena i come at it from the sort of you know the general pragmatic perspective and i'm just really really keen to help and knowledge share uh, so whilst um you know please do like connect with me on linkedin um you know my, my email address is uh, is on my linkedin profile but i'm always really really happy to uh, to take the time to chat and share my um share my perspectives because i think it's real you know 
land of the blind the one-eyed man is king and when you go into this you're, you're kind of you are flying blind and i think you know over the last few months and and as i continue to you know do more on this i've sort of picked up that that one-eyed generalist um perspective Brilliant. Brilliant. So David, I'll make sure there's a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and you can get those show notes on our, on our website at growcfo.net um, as well as you'll see a, a version of them on whichever podcast provider you're listening to the show on. But to get the links that work, come across and look at look for the show on growcfo.net. David. That has been fascinating. Thank you for being our guest today on the Gross CFO Show.